We're going to talk about that this morning as we continue our series on religion versus faith, religion versus faith, and the struggle between the two. If you weren't here the last couple of weeks, actually last week, because this is week two, if you weren't here last week, you may be like, wow, wait a minute, there's a struggle between religion and faith? Well, we're going to be talking about that this morning. And so our four-week series is The Contrast of Two Lives. When I was in life group this week, some people asked me, what does it mean, the contrast of two lives? Well, we were talking about the contrast here is between a life of religion and a life of faith. And sometimes those are similar, but sometimes those are very different. And the Bible doesn't actually speak very well at all of a life of religion. You may not know that, but the Bible doesn't speak well of that at all. And so today we're going to be talking about this issue because it's critical that as we try to figure out what life we want to leave, what life we want to live, that we will be on the faith side of things rather than on the religion side of things. Well, here's our strategy. Um, Last week, we talked about the danger of religion, the danger of religion. And yes, it may seem weird that we're in church and talking bad about religion, but Jesus talked bad about religion. And so we're going to talk bad about religion a little bit today. By the way, it was interesting because every week, well, not every week, but lots of weeks, we do have people of other religions who come to BBC. And last week, we had someone of another religion that came in. They sat for a few minutes. Uh, I know because I talked to the person in advance. And when I got started talking about the dangers of religion, man, they ran out as quick as they possibly could. Because a lot of us are in bad religions. A lot of us are in negative religions. Even Christianity can be a bad religion. And we're going to talk about why that is today um, and some of the identifying marks of bad religion. What we want to be is people of faith more than we want to be people of religion. If I've totally confused you, I'll explain in just a minute. Today we're going to be talking about identifying bad religion. Why are we going to talk about this today? Well, I, sometimes I don't always tell the, the goals of the message, but there are two goals I want to tell you today for the message, so we're all clear and on the same page. Number one goal is for you to be able to self-identify any aspects or remnants of bad religion in your life. Maybe you were raised in a different religion. Maybe you are raised in a different context of Christianity. I want you, just like I want me, to be able to identify from the Bible things that are in our lives that more have to do with religiosity than following Jesus. For those of us who are followers of Jesus and are what the world calls Christians. Number two, many of you, in fact all of you, know people who are stuck in false religion, who are stuck in bad religion. And it doesn't matter what religion it is, it can even be Christianity, but they're stuck in bad religion. And so it's imperative that you understand that they're stuck in bad religion and be able to identify why they're stuck so to be able to help them to be able to find faith in Jesus. So today we're just going to do some three simple woes from Jesus. We did three woes last week. We're going to do three woes today of identifying bad religion. Now, For those of you that weren't here last week or those of you that slept through this last week, let me just go over this real clear so that we're all on the same page. Religion and faith, they in our world today, as we use those words in English, are apples and oranges. What do I mean apples and oranges? They're different, right? It's possible to assume that they basically mean the same thing, but they are not used the same way in our world, and they don't really mean the same thing either. For the sake of argument today, religion and faith have a lot of overlap. There is overlap between the two, but there are also things that are very much religious, and then there are very much things that are faith that don't overlap with each other. Is it possible? Well, let me ask you, is it possible to admit? Let's just talk about this. Religion, I'm going to define for today, just so we're all on the same page, I'm going to define as a system 
for people to interact with a god or gods or some type of flying spaghetti monster up there in the universe. So religion is a system that we can observe. For example, Christianity is a religion. Buddhism is a religion. Jainism is a religion. Sikhism is a religion. Shintoism is a religion. But also, what are other religions? Jehovah's Witness is a religion. Mormonism is a religion. So is Satanism. Satanism is a religion. What about philosophies? Can they be religious? Absolutely. Skepticism is a religion. Nihilism is a religion. Atheism is a religion. Why is atheism a religion? Because you believe God's not there. I'm not going to talk to you, God. I don't believe you're there. No, no, no. Don't talk to me, God. No, no, no. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. I can't hear you, right? That's your religion. That's what religion is. And you practice it the same way I practice my religion. Although I find that religion somewhat childish, but be that as it may, that's the way it is. So religion is a system for people to interact with God. Faith, though, is an internal decision or conviction of a person. So as a Christian, I say that I have faith in Jesus, that I am looking to him, I want to follow him, I want to be committed to him. I have faith in Jesus. But we also use the word faith all the time. Some of you had faith the giants were going to win, the pennant. Some of you, okay, that's faith, but that may not be saving faith. That may not be salvation. And so it's a bit different. So faith is not only our ability to believe in God and believe in Jesus, but faith can cover other things as well. So religion and faith are different. They have distinct areas, even though there's some overlap. Now, as a warning, sorry, I went too fast. As a warning, it's important to remember that religion is not all bad, just as faith is not all good. So there are aspects of faith that would be bad. If I have faith in Satan, that's not really a good thing. If I have faith in my wife who always leaves me, that may not be well-placed faith. Uh, At the same time, religion can be good, even though a lot of times it can also be bad. Let me ask the question, can a person be a religious person? Well, is it good for a person to be religious and not faithful? No, that's what we're going to talk about today. But let me ask a different question. Is it good for a, especially for those of us who are Christians, is it good for us to be all faith and no religion? No, probably not. Why? Because religion is the outward practice of our faith. And if we have no outward practice, then it really becomes a question of how strong our faith is. So there's a necessity that there has to be some religion in our lives. We just want to make sure that the religion is the minimum and faith in God is the maximum. And we will be really, really good with where the Bible is. All right. Let's talk about, see what the Bible has to say. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 23. If you all want to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 23, that'd be awesome. If you have your iPhone, you can open up your YouVersion app or whatever it is and uh, look at it on your iPhone. Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 23, I'm going to open up as you're opening up. Matthew chapter 23... Matthew chapter 23, here we go, starting in verse 23. We're going to continue on from the woes that we talked about last week. These is um, Jesus' words to religious leaders. Now, let's set this up. Matthew chapter 23, verse, starting in verse 23. When Jesus is speaking here, he's speaking to religious leaders who are of his own religion. Okay, he's not speaking to people who are Hindu or Buddhist or the Dalai Lama or something else. He's speaking to the people in his own religion. He's not criticizing other religions. He's just speaking to this because even hypocrisy, even these bad religion can creep into good faith. And we need to be careful of that. 
All right, so here's what Jesus is. By the way, Jesus is not from San Francisco. He's not saying all religion, all religious leaders are bad. He's just saying the ones he's speaking of here, here's what they're guilty of. So here's the thing. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Blind guides, you strain your water so that you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but instead you swallow a camel. What sorrow awaits teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, then the outside will become clean too." What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. And a lot of us have probably heard the whitewashed tomb uh, verse before, but we're going to look at all three of these woes, break them down as we're going to try to identify examples of bad religion. Again, the goal today is to identify some clear markers of bad religion so that we can make sure that we don't have it in our lives and that people around us also don't have it in their lives as well. Three ideas if you want to follow along in your handout, if you're a fill-in-the-blank kind of person. Number one is that bad religion focuses on details. Bad religion focuses on details. Here's what the Bible says. Jesus here takes the Pharisees a task because he says, listen, woe to you, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Now, what's happening is, is that Jesus is criticizing the Pharisees, the religious leaders, because they're busy micromanaging the tithe and micromanaging people's lives. Now, I had a hard time in first service coming up with a good example. I'm going to try to do better. But here's what was going on. In the ancient world, people would have gardens. It was common for everyone to have a garden. Why? Because everyone had sheep and goats and plants and it, because it was agrarian society. It wasn't like an urban society. Me, I don't think I could grow or garden or sheep or goat or anything if I had to. I mean, it would be tough. I know nothing about that. If I, one of those apocalyptic movies came true, uh, I would have, I'd be out there in the desert or somewhere in Mel Gibson's, you know, whatever, uh, apocalypse, and uh, I wouldn't know how to do anything. So I'd be pretty much, well, stuck. And a lot of you are the same way, but with people in the ancient world, it wasn't like that. They all knew how to grow. They all did things. And one of the things that people would do in the ancient world is that they would have a little herb garden beside their house where they would plant herbs that they use for cooking. So they would plant dill and cumin and other different types of herbs. They would just have a couple little sprigs there in the ground. They would, they would then harvest it whenever they wanted it. If they wanted an herb, they would go, they'd break off a piece, and they would put it in there. The problem is, is that the Pharisees, because they were trying to wring every single nickel and dime out of every single person, came up with a law about tithing everything. And so they went, and even when they grew a little tiny sprig of herb in their garden, they would go, nine for me, and then they'd set one little tiny sliver of leaf aside, and they would go, and they would make a big pretense about taking it down to the temple and giving it and turning it over to the priests as a sacrifice. It was kind of ridiculous. It was ridiculous because it basically made everything to be about the little details. You know, how are you with the details? 
How are you doing? It'd be almost like if you all were tithing and I were to sort of uh, find out what your pay was and make sure that every little dime went in. By the way, this is true. I didn't mention it first service, but I don't know if you heard this, but the United Kingdom, do you know what their current plan for taxation, one of the ones they're proposing is? Have you guys heard this? It's amazing. That the United Kingdom is proposing that instead of employers play, pay employees and then the employees pay their taxes, the employers give all the money to the government first, the government takes out the taxes and then sends the people their money. Wow, if that happened in America, I think I would go crazy. But that's the level of micromanagement that we're talking about here. Micromanaging people to the point where it just was crazy. And here's what happens. Even while the Pharisees were worrying about every little spring bud that they had in their garden, the, at the same time, they were ignoring things like justice, mercy, and faith. Jesus talks about this because he, the Pharisees accuse him of, at some point of what? Breaking the Sabbath. And he refers to David. What did David do? David ate on the Sabbath because he needed the grain. And they were saying, oh, you know, Jesus, you can't do this. And Jesus was explaining, look, the Sabbath is not about the law. It's about a gift from God for us to be able to enjoy rest. It's important, but it's not about the letter of the law. It's about us doing the spirit of what God wants. It's about what God wants. It's about what God is doing in our lives. And so the Pharisees were taking time to make sure they measured every little herb that every little person was bringing in. But instead, they didn't show any love or justice or mercy to people. And that, my friends, constitutes a huge problem. When we look at false religion, we look at bad religion. Bad religion is oftentimes, it's indicative of when religious leaders and the religion micromanage things like the tithe, but they miss the greatest gift of all, which is love. By the way, Jesus here is not saying that tithing is bad. In fact, he says it's good. It's not that they were giving a tithe that was the problem. Giving a tithe is good. Giving a tithe is important. It's what God asks you to do. But at the same time, it's not the fact that they were giving a tithe that was the issue. It's how they were doing it. What does God say about being a giver? He's right. That's right. He says that we must be a cheerful giver, that we must do it because we want to give, because we love God. I would almost argue that people that don't love God and give, it's almost wasted. Because the problem is, is that it's not for the right reason. It it has nothing to do with why they're giving. And and yet the problem wasn't the fact of the action that they were doing. It's the meaning behind the action. It's the fact that they were more concerned about every little iota, every little issue that they could think of that they could make up to put people down rather than micromanage people, rather than the big issues. Were they loving people? Were they showing mercy to people? I mean, these are the same people that when the little widow came and brought the widow's mite, I'm sure the little copper coin, they laughed at her. They, oh, you know, because they could not have mercy for people. They could not know what justice was. So they missed the greatest gift of all, which is love. By the way, Jesus uses an analogy here. He says, uh, in verse 24, he says, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel instead. And the gnat and the camel were both considered to be unclean by Jewish law. And so what happened is, is that he would go, you know, they would go along and when they were going to drink water because they didn't have very good sanitary conditions, they would strain the water to make sure that what they were drinking, there wasn't any bugs in it. Which, by the way, I highly recommend if you ever are in a country where bugs get in the water. You don't want to drink bugs. 
not good. So they would do that. But they would do it because, not so much because they wanted, don't want to drink bugs, I'm sure that's true, but because they wanted to make a pretense of being clean. But at the same time, they are willing to swallow any amount of uncleanliness if it doesn't agree with them. It's like the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus tells. The Pharisees would stop a little widow to make sure to weigh her tithe and make sure she was given the tithe. Meanwhile, someone's beating someone or someone's starving by the road and they would not care. So false religion, bad religion, bad religion is described when we talk about a system where it's micromanaging everything that you do, but there is no love and there is no justice and there is no mercy. Far be it for me or any other person who calls themselves a Christian to try to measure something in your life when I have no love for your life, when I have no mercy for your life, when I have no desire for your life. You know, love is what it, where it's at. And by the way, some of you will say, wait a minute, Pastor, because the Old Testament, the Old Testament is about laws and rules and New Testament. That's where it's about love, but that's not true. Read the Old Testament. The prophets say over and over and over again that it's not the sacrifice you make, it's where your heart is in relation to God. When you make the sacrifice, it's about you knowing and relating to God. So they miss the greatest gift of love. So one of the big keys of spotting bad religion is when the people that are in the religion, the leaders of the religion, is more concerned about micromanaging and measuring something in your life than loving you. Number two, and caring about you for who you are. Number two is this bad religion seeks to serve itself. Bad religion seeks to serve itself. Jesus says this in the well. He says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and Pharisees? You're hypocrites. For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean as well. So bad religion seeks to serve itself. It seeks to be focused on itself. The religious leaders were what? They were pious in their community. Did the religious leaders go around and act as if they were just like everybody else, that they were all just like you? No. They were like, look at me. Look how special I am. Look at the outfits I'm wearing. Look at what I'm doing. I am religious. And because I am religious and I am a leader, I am telling you what to do. And you better do it because I am a religious leader and you're in that religion. By the way, I didn't mention the first service, but this is an aspect of bad religion. Bad religion is one that you're stuck in and you can't get out of, you know? And so if you know people who say, oh, I've been this, I was born this, I will die this, I've been this my whole life, and yet they're following people who do this, it needs to be a wake-up call. But for a lot of people, they don't care because it's just what they've always done. Oh, yeah, that religious leader, he does this and he does that, but it's what they've always done. The religious leaders were pious in their community. They acted as if they were religious. They put on their religious garb and they put on their religious attire. But what was the problem with them? The problem is, is that they were religious on the outside, but on the inside they were dirty, full of greed and self-indulgence. How many times do we hear, even let's just pick on Christianity here. How many times do we hear people who are supposed to be Christian leaders who act all religious on the outside, and they're on TV and stuff like that. But on the inside, they're nothing but filled with greed and desire for money and comfort and everything else. There's the guy that Steve Martin based that part on. He's a famous TV guy. And as you, many of you know, he has a Jaguar for every single day of the week. He's got seven Jaguars. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never driven a Jaguar 
I would like to drive a Jaguar one day before I die. So I would like to drive one maybe before I die. That would be cool. But if God blesses me with some amount of financial success in this life, I could see where maybe one nice car a person could have. Fine. Because I don't think the Bible calls all of us to be poor. But I don't think you need seven. That's just my opinion. I could be wrong. I'm willing to admit I'm wrong, but I don't think so. How many poor people could that feed and shelter? How many people could that commute? How many Operation Christmas Child boxes could you buy with just one Jaguar and go down to six instead of seven? I know six is hard, but come on. But, you know, we laugh, but yet why are those people rich? They're rich because people are in bad religion. And people are in bad religion, and they give money to bad religion, and they support bad religion over and over and over and over again. Now, I'm being a little mean on second service. Nobody in first service laughed about it. They were asleep. So I agree. It's funny, but there's a serious side to it, too. So I don't want to pick on you too hard, but it is funny, but there's a serious side, too. The religious leaders are pious in their community. I mean, even when I go to pastor's conferences, I mean, sometimes it's awkward because sometimes I'll meet pastors who, you know, and again, I'm not saying if, if they pastor a large church and they drive Mercedes, I don't care about that. But, you know, at some point, at some point, it's a little, it gets a little over the top. It gets a little over the top because it's more about success and wealth and comfort than it is anything else. So yet their goal was personal wealth and comfort. Something should be wrong when a religion is more focused on serving itself than serving other people. Something is really messed up there. I mean, if the whole point of religion is for me to get wealthy, there's a big problem there. If the whole point of religion is to just be comfortable and to be at peace and just be happy, you know, everything's okay, then also something else is really broken there. The... When we talk about knowing God and having faith in Him, it should challenge us to reach out to other people, to love other people, to minister to other people. Why? Because we care about other people. Because we're showing love and we're, showing, we're demonstrating that we are a child of God. Yet their goal was personal comfort and wealth. You know, there's lots of people on TV. And a lot of people sometimes on the news shows and different programs, they'll have pastor in front of their name or reverend in front of their name. They'll have all kinds of different titles in front of their names. What are they seeking? What are they seeking? When you hear interfaith speakers sometimes, what are they seeking? What are they speaking about? What's the goal? There's one guy who is a religious leader um, who appears all the time, who I'm not a very big fan of. And, you know, everything is about us being well off and us being good and just being at harmony with the universe. But that guy is rich as rich can be. And he just sells his stick for people and writes the books for people. And they just buy into his, his religion is, I don't know, generic, I'm okay, you're okay, happy Americanism, something. But yet, is that real or is it just comforting the people who are going to get wealthy from it? So their goal was personal wealth and comfort. That's what the Pharisees were doing. I mean, the Pharisees here, they were clean on the outside. They were pretty on the outside. They looked awesome on the outside. They wore the right clothes. They drove the right cars. But on the inside, they were dirty because they were more concerned with personal satisfaction and greed than ever helping anyone else. 
And our world is full of those kind of religious leaders. And it always has been and it always will be. By the way, real quickly here as we finish up this morning, number three is this. Bad religion looks good on the outside. If you didn't know this, bad religion always looked good on the outside. Because why? It can't look bad or nobody will ever be tricked or conned into doing it. But bad religion looks good on the outside. Here's what the Bible says. It says that the religious leaders scrubbed their externals. <laughs> they beautified their externals. The Bible says this. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and Pharisee, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. So let me explain what was going on in the ancient world, because all you guys have heard this whitewashed tomb analogy before, right? Here's what happened. In the ancient world, in the Jewish context, Tombs were considered to be unclean. So what that meant was if you touched a tomb or hung out on a tomb, you were now unclean. You had to go to the temple and you had to go and make sacrifice and become clean again. By the way, have you ever been to a funeral? When you go to a funeral, there's always a bunch of little kids and they try to run around the graveyard and their parents are like, no, don't walk on the tomb. Even today, we don't walk on a tomb. That's just the way tradition has always been handed down and it comes back to the ancient world in this regard. And so what would happen is, is that the Jewish people did not want to step on a tomb because it was a big deal to become ceremonially clean again. It was a hassle. But what would happen is, is that Jewish people would be coming and going, walking across fields. They didn't have roads or anything like that for, like they would go to Jerusalem for feast or for festival, uh, Passover, that sort of thing. So here's the average Jew, right? He'd be walking along, strolling along, whatever, walking through over the hills and through the valley. What's that song go? Over the hills and through the woods to Passover we go, something like that, right? They'd be doing that. They'd be walking over the fields and they'd be walking along and they would step on a tomb. They, oh, oh man, I, tomb, I didn't see it. Darn it. Oh, I got to go to the temple and do all that stuff and pay. And oh, man, why, why didn't they just mark this tomb? So to help people, villages would go out before a major festival and they would paint the tombs white so that when people walked by, they would see the tomb so they didn't have to step on the tomb so they wouldn't have to worry about the ceremonial uncleanliness. But they didn't change the tomb. The tomb was still a tomb. There's still a dead body in it. It was now attractive and pretty and clear as a tomb on the outside, but on the inside, it was still ugly and messed up. So the religious leaders would scrub themselves and beautify themselves to let everyone know, hey, Here's a tomb. Oh, wait a minute. Here's a religious leader. I'm wearing the fancy outfit. You do what I say. But Jesus said no, because on the inside, they may beautify themselves and they may make themselves look pretty so everyone will know that they're there. But on the inside, they're just as deadly and ugly as they ever were. Why? Because there was no heart change. There was no faith. There was no relationship with God. It was just all laws and rules and religiosity to make themselves feel good and put other people down. By the way, let me end with this. It's interesting because Jesus says, outwardly you look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. And we understand why Jesus calls them hypocrites, but lawlessness, why does he end with that one last well, it's because law was the way that bad religions oftentimes work. Bad religions say, 
you will do this because I am the whatever, fill in the religious title. You will do it because if you don't do it, you're going to hell. If you don't do it, I'm going to get mad with you. If you don't do it, you're going to be excommunicated. You're going to be kicked out. You're going to be shunned. If you don't do it, I have the power. You don't have the power. I'm telling you to do it. You're going to do it. And you know what the ironic thing was? Is the Pharisees practiced the law on people over and over and over and over again, measuring what they gave, telling them what they could do, making them do the things that they didn't want to do so that they could be comfortable. But yet, at the end of the day, what they did themselves was without any regard to the own rules that they were preaching and teaching. That they would speak the law to people when they were out there dressed in their robes, but when they went into the priest club where only the priests were allowed in, they, were, they went and did anything they wanted to do. And by the way, as a pastor, I see it all the time, even in the Christian faith. I go to conferences and I see people who stand up and say religious things, but then when I see them at the bar uh, in the hotel that night, I'm not in the bar. I'm walking through the bar. They're in the bar. I see what they're doing. You know what I mean? I know what they're up to. And you know what? It's just, at the end of the day, hypocritical. And it's a sign of bad religion. Bad religion we are all susceptible to it. Why? Because we all want to know God. There's a part in our lives, every single person ever created want to get, wants to know God. But because of brokenness and fear and sin in our world, we're afraid to do faith. Why? Because faith is more difficult than rules. Rules are easy because you just do what I tell you to do and everything's going to be okay. God doesn't want you to do rules. He wants you to do faith. He wants you to believe in him, commit to him, and take out any of the religiosity that doesn't need to be there. Not all religion is bad. Some religion is necessary. But you know what? A lot of us struggle with overly religiousness that doesn't gel with where our heart and our soul and our spirit is. So today, let's make a decision, each of us, that we're going to be people of faith more than we're going to be people of religion. We're going to have our relationship with God first, and we're going to allow all the external stuff to follow. The cup is going to be clean from the inside, not from the outside. Don't worry about the outside. The Bible says don't even worry about it. Just worry about the inside. Let's do that, each of us today, and help our friends and family members who are stuck in bad religion, hopefully to do it one day as well. Let's pray.